going on, everyone? This is Ethan, and this week we have a special episode of the Copy Blogger Podcast. I had an opportunity to sit down and chat with podcast host and newsletter writer Danny Miranda. Uh, if you've not heard of Danny yet, you're definitely going to. He is an up-and-coming voice in the world of storytelling and, as I mentioned, host of the Danny Miranda Podcast. This is a show that's been around for about a year and a half, and he's already 200, somewhere between two and 250 episodes in. And the list of guests that he's had on there has been absolutely incredible. Just to give you an idea, not only all the big names uh, from sort of my world, the newsletter world, that's Sam Parr, Sahil Bloom, Cody Sanchez, all the rest, but I'm pretty sure Gary Vaynerchuk was episode 30 or 40 of his show. Just really impressive, out of the gate, and he's only getting better. Danny came on my radar recently uh, with a new business that he launched. He recently created a paid newsletter that's going to be tracking how he's growing his podcast from 25,000 downloads per month all the way up to a million. Very cool journey. And so we got together this time, or this afternoon really, to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about his background, uh, his origin story, how he got into content creation in general, talk about creative burnout, how to find your thing, like how to find uh, your priority as a creator. Uh, We talked about interview strategy and how he gets new stories and new insights out of these incredible guests who many times have been interviewed dozens or even hundreds of times. We talk about the tools that he uses, the strategies he uses, the tactics that he's using right now to manage all this content creation. And other things too, like the highest ROI decision that he's made and his approach to questions and how to ask better questions of your guests, interviewees, all kinds of things. If you give this a listen, I think you're really going to see why it is he is becoming so well known these days. Super interesting thinker, great storyteller, genuinely good guy. I really enjoyed this conversation. So give it a listen. Let me know what you think. Uh, And you can check Danny out over at his podcast. That's the Danny Miranda show. Uh, You can also find him on Twitter. I believe his handle is Hey Danny Miranda, uh, D-A-N-N-Y-M-I-R-A-N-D-A. And of course, the new newsletter is dannymiranda.substack.com. The newsletter is called In the DM. Okay, so we were talking about Austin for a little while. And it's cool that you're moving here. When are when are you getting down here? By the way, do you have like a hopefully, timer on that? Yeah, hopefully in a week. Just gonna oh. get an Airbnb for a little bit and then figure it out from there. That's awesome, man. Do you uh, any particular part of town that you're eyeing right now? Uh, I stayed a little bit in East Austin. And I really love that. I went to Squatch Fitness, Sasquatch Fitness, all the time, and it was like a three minute walk from my place, and it was amazing. But just open and just gonna text my friends like i'm looking at this spot in this place so right on that's awesome man yeah sasquatch fitness comes up all the time so east austin definitely one of the like one of the main places to be i always recommend people who are moving here they're like well what part of town's a good part of town i'm like well, you can't go wrong on like on like east 6th through 12th right now there's still like some semi sketchy areas in there but for the most part you grab a spot in there, use your time to explore, and you're gonna get a, a real good feel for like how the city is. But anyways, that's exciting, man. I'm 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 stoked for you. I'm excited to connect. You'll have to let me know when you get here. Uh, and I'm excited to have you on. So thank you for being here. I mentioned before we pressed record that there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're working on that I'd like to talk through. Specifically, you came on my radar 
Well, you've been on my radar for a little while. Uh, you've interviewed a bunch of friends of mine. I think we maybe even talked the first time you were going to come to Austin because you were looking to do uh, interviews like Samplar and stuff. And I'm connected with those guys. But you've been on my you've been on my radar for a while. You came back on with the recent launch of this paid newsletter. So we're going to talk about that. But before we get into it, you're at this really interesting point in your career where it seems like you're at a real inflection point. Danny Miranda, the name is getting out there more and more. I'm a, a subscriber to your newsletter, so I know what the views are on the podcast. YouTube, all those things are taken off. And so I was excited to connect at this point in time because it is such like a, a, a kind of a hockey stick moment. Before we get into sort of the nitty gritty of how you're building out these this media engine, for people who maybe haven't heard the name yet, would you mind just giving a quick rundown of like who you are and how how did how did this come to be your thing? You're two years into the podcast game now. Like what? What originally started that journey? And 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 yeah. Well, let's start there. So I'm I'm trying to think about how far back I'd like to go with this because the truth is the origins of the newsletter and the origins of the podcast started when I was probably seven or eight or nine years old when I was writing my first newsletter called the Sunny Times and I would sell it to the neighbors around the block and I've been doing this forever. Honestly, like it's crazy because if I look back at me reporting on sports in in high school and me doing different blogs when I was 13, when I was 15, there was always the seed of looking at the world, covering the world, and trying to show other people it through my own lens. And now I'm just doing it in a way that one, I'm more disciplined with. I stopped doing the, the time management blog at 13 when I was uh, after like three months. Because I got upset when some woman who was 40 said that I should stop and like said I should go play in school and that I must be not actually 13. So it made me feel bad and I stopped. 15, I, I did it for a year and a half. But the point is that the podcast started two years ago because I put out on Twitter two and a half years ago, who wants to talk on the phone? Who wants to have a conversation? And I ended up having such great phone conversations with people that I said, I got to record these. There's more people in the world who will gain value from this conversation. And it's such a simple little switch of going from this is just a private conversation between Danny and Ethan to now it's a conversation the entire world can access and they can access forever. And that concept like really stuck with me like, oh, wow, my grandchildren might be able to access this conversation between us. Like they probably won't care. But the fact that they could just really excited me and filled me with so much possibility. So I started saying, all right, I'll do one podcast a week. And then I said, wow, I really enjoy this. Before I'd even one podcast out, I had 20 in the backlog because I was just enjoying talking to people and learning about them and their stories. And that's how I started the podcast. And yeah, that that's kind of like I've just been slowly building on it over time and making it a little better day by day. And now we're here. That's fascinating. I'm so curious, what prompted you to post that on Twitter in the first place? I mean, who wants to talk on the phone? Not necessarily a common tweet, especially these days, right? Like nobody talks on the phone these days. What what led to that original post? It was July of 2020. So it was kind of peak lockdown. I was filled with such joy in my own life from the own my own habits that I'd been building at that time. The only the, my things that I was doing, I was going inward. I was learning about myself. I was meditating. I was working out. I was growing as a person. And I wanted to share that joy 
with other people and as well as learn about their own stories. And I figured what better way to do that than a phone call. So that's kind of what prompted the tweet. And it led to some amazing conversations with people who I still consider friends to this day. That's fascinating. We're um, going back to those earliest conversations. Were a lot of them with people that you knew or did 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 that prompt conversations with strangers right out of the gate? What was that like? Yeah, it was mainly strangers that turned into friends. And it was just people who were in difficult times themselves, people who were having great times in life themselves. Like it was a, a mix of different experiences and I was learning so much about them. And honestly, those were like my friendships at the time, like it or my connections. Like, you know how like people will work in the office and they'll have like a water cooler talk. Like this was my equivalent of water cooler talk at the time in July of 2020. I wasn't thinking like, I'm going to start a podcast. I was like, oh, wow, I enjoy talking to these people. Okay, like, let me record it. Oh, that's a podcast sort of thing. Bottom up instead of top down. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was listening to the conversation you had with uh, Sahil Bloom earlier this morning. And there's something interesting about him. I noticed it first with him when I was listening to a pod- another podcast he'd done in the past. I've studied Sahil's work quite a bit. Like we've written about his approach to growing his trends or sorry, his, uh, his Twitter community. So I've always been very interested in his work as a professional. And so one of the, one of the things that I noticed about him, which I've also noticed now about you, and I think you guys both have this in common with Sam too. So maybe this is a trait that's similar, that's common across like successful storytellers is this predilection for action and sort of like a, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word unreasonableness, but I mean it in a good way, which is like, I don't think a lot of people would make their first, their first go to, even during lockdowns, first go to would be like to public, to publicly ask for phone calls. There's something that you did there, which is like unusual, but it led to these great insights. And as a result, I think you carry that forward in your work. And we'll talk about some of the ways that you approach that, but you bring people into conversations that are unusual moving forward. So there's this like unreasonableness or unusualness, which is really unique and tends to lead to great content creators. One of the other things that kind of interested me about um, uh, Sahil and you as well now is this sort of inherent feeling that what you're experiencing or what you're creating is worth other people's time. I think that is... I won't say unique, but it's like common among successful creators that you start from this place of saying, like, oh, this actually could be really interesting for somebody else. This isn't just for me. This Somebody else needs to see this. Where, where do you or do you agree with that assessment? And then if so, where do you think that that line of thinking comes from in your life? Yeah, I mean, if I look back, I've always felt that and had that to some degree. I mean, when I was 15 years old, I'm sending a message to the Knicks PR team and saying, hey, can I go to media day to interview these NBA players? Like to me, there's no, there was no hesitation to do that. There was no like, oh, do I belong here or not? It was just like, I have this website. I think it's pretty good. These people also think it's pretty good. So therefore, I should at least ask for the opportunity to interview these people. And when I interview them, the NBA players, more people are going to want to see that. So. I didn't realize it like from that perspective when I was doing it, but it's just like always been in my nature to be like, okay, I'm having this experience 
and there's someone out there who could benefit from me documenting this in some way. And I think a lot of people get caught up on the imposterness of it. Who am I to put out my perspective on the world? Guess what? The internet gives you the opportunity to do so. It's like the printing press is in your hand at 1500. You now have the opportunity to put what's in your mind into the world. I look at it the same way with writing, with audio, with video. We have this opportunity for the first time ever. Do you think George Washington would have wished he could just put his face into as many different people's minds as possible? I think he would have to get his message across, but he didn't get that opportunity. I do. So that makes me incredibly grateful, and that gratitude leads to me wanting to share my experience more. Hmm. That's so interesting. Okay, so you'd started with these phone calls, and then at some point you're like, uh, this is a podcast. You start the podcast. You're really enjoying it. From the outside, it seems like the podcast is your full-time thing right now. Is that true? And if so, at what point did it become the the thing that you were doing? Yeah, so I look at it like it's my full-time focus right now. I'm doing so many different things. I don't even know if it's sustainable. I don't know if it's – I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and I, I don't want it to appear as if I do. So let me break down like, okay, so I have the paid newsletter, and I'm doing clips for other people, and it's like – this person wants clips, this person wants clips, you know, and so I'm doing clips for myself. Somebody's helping me out with clips for just who likes doing it for free. I'm, it's like, it's nonstop. There's so many different things in my head at one time right now. And I'm just building this ship as I'm creating it. Eventually, I hope to get to a point where the podcast itself, people will, I will be able to show companies that I like, that I respect, that I appreciate. and use them as sponsors. And I'm not at that point yet. And I don't want anyone to think that I am at that point. But I'm trying to build this ship as I'm as we're sailing. And sometimes it breaks and sometimes I get back and you know it's just a process of having a little bit of uh empathy for myself in any given moment because I know I don't have it all figured out. I'm just trying to build this thing and as it's growing. That's one of the key ideas behind the newsletter, which we're going to get into in a minute. I, I'm very keen to talk to you about that. But I want to dig a little bit deeper on like the real turning point for you, because you mentioned that you had been creating content in one form or another, storytelling, for most of your life. And some of those things you had picked up, dropped at some point. So, But with this, it's very different. It's very obvious, I think, especially to anybody who works in this field, that you take this really seriously. And I'm curious to know a little bit more about like what was the turning point there where you said, this is going to be the thing, like this is going to be my thing. I'm not going to drop this one. I mean, I wrote today about burnout. Somebody asked me about burnout and they said like, how do you not get burned out? You're doing so much. And I said, it's not for me. It's not so much about not getting burned out. It's about what's the thing you want to go back to after you're burned out. And so I've had a couple of periods myself of, I think from December 15th to January 15th. I didn't publish a single podcast episode. From, um, in July of this year, I published two podcast episodes, right? So, but then it was like in August, wait, like some part of me is missing. Then in January of 2022, it was like, wait, like I don't feel whole unless I'm doing this. So I think it was the process of not doing the thing and then realizing like, oh, wait, that's actually a piece of my soul and I can't not do it. 
That's super interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's like, what are the things in your life that you can't not do? Those are the things that you should be pursuing with everything. And guess what? I couldn't have possibly known that for sure unless I stopped. So I think it's worth maybe stopping some things, not intentionally, but when you feel like, wow, I can't, I can't keep going or maybe stop. Like, and then see what happens. Do you continue with that? I've started so many different things in my life. I had e-commerce stores. I had, um, different marketing agencies. I had this, I had that, but I stopped doing them and I didn't go back to them. Why? Because I think inherently those things weren't a part of my soul. Hmm. There's such a great lesson there too. Uh, I mentioned from the outside, it looks like this is the full-time thing and they're, they're, you know, from one person in media to another, often there is such a disconnect between what things look like from the outside and what they really are or what it really is like to work in this industry on the inside. And what you said there, I like, and I hope people will pull out of this, which is you gave yourself room to stop. I think people who are sort of just hearing your name might assume that like at some point you made this the podcast and you just like bang, 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 haven't missed a day since. What you're saying is like, no, the reality is actually a little bit more messy than that. But in that messiness, I was able to find what the priority is, you know? That's so that's a, right. yeah, that's really cool. Speaking of the podcast. So I'd love to dig into how you do that. And just so I'm clear, uh, you mentioned we'll get into some of the clips and stuff in a bit, but you're doing those not just for yourself, but for other people too. Is that almost like an agency type service? Is that how you're, how you're making money right now is for, by doing clips for other people? Exactly. And I'm, I'm not trying to like brand it as an agency because I don't want to be doing it three years from now, basically. Right on. This is so smart. Okay. Well, I'll save the newsette for later. Do you actually, we'll talk about it now. So do you, do you know of the newsletter, the newsette? I don't. It's basically like, um, it's kind of like morning brew for, but strictly for women, professional women. So, um, they'll cover, you know, business and, uh, pop culture, stuff like that. All through the lens of like what professional women are sort of interested in. And it's a killer business. They did $40 million in revenue in 2021 with a team of like 15 people. Uh, the founder is, she's just an absolute rock star and she's monetizing way above her weight class. They have, uh, 500,000 subscribers, which is like basically they are punching at twice the level that Morning Brew did at their size. It's, it's a crazy business. But one of the ways that they're doing it is they have the content, the media business on the front end, and that's what everybody sees. And then on the back end, they actually have a TikTok agency called Newland, which at the time, Tim and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. At the time, this may have changed since then, but at the time, you couldn't find the website for Newland at all. And what I said at that point was, I actually expect to see a lot more creators go this direction with like content creation on the front end, monetizing that way, and then potentially the services on the back end because as a creator you're already so good at it you have the entire infrastructure in place and people will pay you a hell of a lot of money to do the exact same thing for them so it's really cool to hear that you're doing that but you said it's you know that's not the main focus for several years from now yeah i hope i hope i'm not in a way i hope i'm not doing that because it feels like just the thing to do to pay the bills not mm -hmm. the thing to do because i love it and because i can't not do it like if it, the podcast was paying me equal amount to the agency, I would be like, okay, like I'm going to stop doing the agency. And right. so I think because of that, 
I, I realize I need to do some things that I don't like to get to the place that I want to be, but I hope it's not forever. Well, and just skills that you have, right? Like, I mean, like you mentioned, there's a lot of people looking to do short form these days. Uh, not a lot of people have that skill set. So let's talk a little bit about the podcast and how you're currently tackling that, uh, on the, on the creation side. There's sort of two directions that I want to go with this. One is your approach to interviewing, which I think is really interesting. And the other is like more tactical, how you're managing the podcast every day. So let me start with the higher level and your approach to interviewing. One thing that I think a lot of people are most surprised by when they kind of come across your name is that you've had killer guests on the show. You talk a lot about how you land these killer guests and you break it down really well for people. Uh, so check Danny out on Twitter if you're interested in that. He's done a lot of really good posts on how he does this. But for the most part, people stumble across your name. They're like, I've never heard of this guy. And he's interviewing Pop. He's interviewing Sam Parr. He's interviewing Sahil. Like he's got all these crazy people on the, on the podcast. One question that comes to mind is like, these are people who are big names, but they've also been interviewed a lot and they create a lot of their own content. How do you go about getting the most out of those conversations with them? Because I got to say, listening to you guys talk, there is a lot that comes out that normally wouldn't come out in an interview. So talk to me a little bit about your approach to interviewing and how you prepare and ask questions to somebody who's already so well known. Yeah, I think the funny thing is, I feel as if it's almost easier to get them to say things that they've never said before if they have a lot of content out. It's kind of a, a weird paradox. And the reason for that is because everything that somebody says is its own podcast. We could probably do 30 minutes on me, 13 to 15 years old in my blogging days. Like what happened? How'd you get Gary V to call your mom when in this situation? What happened with, right? There's so many different avenues we can go down. And so the more content someone has out, the more interesting things that I can latch onto and that I can ask about. And someone could be like, wait, Sam Parr, you, you biked across the country? Wait, what happened? You, you stayed at people's houses on Tinder? I've never heard him talk about that because that's deep in his archive. He's written about that, but I could have never brought that up if he never put out the content to begin with. So it's like this weird thing that happens. And I just care a lot about the people that come on. I care about a lot about them having good experiences. And I care a lot about them learning something about themselves from the conversation. So my questions and my the statements that I end with or lead with are statements that are trying to get them to learn something about themselves. And I do that often by complimenting them, by making them feel comfortable, by looking deep into their past, by listening to at least two podcasts that they've done prior, if not 10, right? And it's not like I can always do that for every guest, but if there's some like I've probably spent 50 to 100 hours of my life, if not more, with Sam Parr. So it's like, because of that, I have deep familiarity and connection with him that can let his guard down when we do go into topics that are a little bit more dicey, right? So it, it's a it's a really interesting game that I can play. If I have a, a lot of familiarity with someone, it leads me to so many different nuances and things that wouldn't get uncovered if they had zero content out. That's so interesting. You said something there, which, and I've talked to a lot of people about this game, but I've never heard anybody say this. One of your goals is to get somebody to learn something about themselves inside the questions that you ask. Yep. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how you think through that? I and mean, that seems like a bold, that's a bold stance to take. But also, I mean, it's, it's fascinating and kind of profound. How do you 
think about that when you're preparing questions for somebody. Yeah. So I've actually never spoke about this, but I'm so happy you're giving me the opportunity to. It's not that if they if they don't learn something about themselves, I'm not upset. So let, let me start with that. If they do, that's the goal and that's a win for me because it is about the other person coming at the other end of that and leaving and talking to their partner at the end of the conversation and being like, yo, I spoke to this kid, Danny Miranda, and I like what he did was crazier. I had such an enjoyable conversation. Then it breaks down, right? Like, why is a conversation enjoyable? A conversation is usually enjoyable because we come to a new realization. And if it's about ourselves, even better. We're more happy because we've gained new perspective on the world. So how do I go about doing that? I go about doing that by trying to get to know the person better than they know themselves in any given moment, which you might say to yourself is impossible to do. But if you pulled up my blog posts from 2015 or 2012, you would know me in this moment better than I knew myself because I can't remember what that blog post is like. And if I read that, if you read that to me, then I'll be like, huh, I didn't realize I said that. That's fascinating. And then I'll be able to make it a connection to it in the present moment. So deep research is like the biggest thing. But another big thing is literally putting yourself in that person's shoes. Imagining you were, you were going through life as they were going through it. And asking yourself, okay, like, how would I have handled that situation? What's going on there? Why did that person think this instead of that? And sometimes those people have never answered that question themselves. They just acted. And that's really remarkable when you can get someone to say, huh, I didn't realize I did this because of this. And so a big part of that is how can I draw connections in that conversation to something the person has previously done? Um, and, and that's a big one as well. That is so interesting. You, uh, as you were explaining that, you made me think of an experience that I've had that I think maybe a lot of people have had, which is you find an old journal and or like maybe an old list of goals or something like that. And you go back and you read it and you're like, oh, my God, I never. It, it's almost like you're reading something that somebody else wrote. And then you yep. and there's this sinking in feeling, this feeling where all of a sudden you realize that you today and that person who wrote that are kind of the same. And. Uh, there's a connection that's made there. And what you're saying is you can actually basically spark that connection by finding that old journal for people just by purposefully looking at what they did deeper back in their archive. That's super interesting. Yeah. I, I um, had that feeling last night. Like I, I was going through old journals. I was like, huh, I wrote this down. Wow. This came true in this way. So yeah, people's old journals, if they have a lot of content is out there for you to explore. Go back if you're an interviewer. Go back to 2017, 2018. Like, look at those things because that person doesn't even remember what they wrote down. I certainly don't remember everything I wrote down then, but it's there so often on the internet. That's fascinating. What are some of your favorite methods for doing that deep research? I mean, I know the sort of the obvious thing would be like Google the person's name, look up their blog, go back in the archives. I've heard you say that you use advanced search on Twitter quite a bit. Um, can you talk to me about maybe that or any other favorite? tips that like tactics that you have to get the the good stuff absolutely so tweemex is a nice plugin for chrome t-w-e-m-e-x that populates any person's most popular tweets over the past i don't know year five years or all time and so that's just a sidebar that basically just pops up which is really helpful but it's really just like it's brute force and like if it seems like how do he know that or how do you, it's just because I spent the additional 
30 minutes or the additional hour, whatever it is to like go through the extra podcast, go to the seventh page of Google. Like it's not like I have anything more at my disposal. It's literally just effort. And a lot of times one helpful thing is like asking the person's spouse or someone they've worked with, like, are there any interesting things that I can bring up in this conversation that will make the other person smile is like a a good way to frame it. And uh, that usually gets good responses. That's awesome. Yeah. Ugh, dude, you've you've really given me something to think about here in terms of this framing on conversations. So I, thank you for that. I'm curious to pivot just a little bit and hear a little bit more about how you manage some of the tactical stuff. So I actually, funny enough, I think we have some similar uh, approaches to some of the interview prep. In fact, you <laughs> this came up in our conversation in the back in the in the behind the scenes um, when you and I first booked this call. I mentioned to the trends audience, I said, Hey, I'm going to be talking to Danny Miranda soon. Uh, anybody got any questions? And I, I misquoted some of your stats. So I appreciate you correcting me on some of those. But one of the questions that came up from that post is somebody, it's sort of a multi-part question. So I'll just kind of lay out the background. Somebody said, from the outside, it seems like he was focused. He was focused primarily on content creation rather than distribution and only recently changed to focus more on distribution. So the first question is, um, do you agree with that assessment? And if so, what was it that made you switch to focus more and more on distribution? So it's a great question and a great observation. What I realized is, okay, I really love having conversations with people. So let me make it as easy as possible for me to have those conversations. And I'll explain what I mean. So the first 38 episodes of the Danny Miranda podcast were audio only on Skype with no video, no production, no anything, just two people having a phone conversation basically over Skype, audio only. Then Gary Vaynerchuk says he's going to come on the podcast episode 39. And I say to myself, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to record video for this. And I was very uncomfortable recording video. It wasn't like I was putting myself out. That was the first real video that I'd put out on the internet of myself. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's like, welcome to the big stage, fella. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it slowly became, okay, now I have video. All right, this is cool. How do I like get this more in the hands of people? Okay, let me add timestamps. Then it was like, okay, like I have timestamps and I have video. How can I make this in person to increase the experience? Okay, now I'm in person. How can I get the, the distribution of this episode to more people. Okay, I could chop it up into clips. What you see now might look to you or anyone like a well-oiled machine, but the truth is it just started from doing audio-only podcasts 262 episodes ago. And so I think that it's like, yeah, of course, you have to focus on the content at first, make sure it's good. If I tried doing everything I just talked about in the beginning, it never would have worked. There's no chance because there's so many little nuances to each piece of what I'm talking about from the interview itself to them recording a video conversation, taking in someone's eyes and how they're interacting with it, to then going to the timestamps, to then going... like There's so many little pieces of it. And I did it slowly but surely, just 1% better every day. And when I fell, got back, back up again. And, and that's really the, the moral of the story there. That's fascinating. And I think it uh, actually leads perfectly into the second part of this person's question where they said, tactically, how are you currently managing it all? I mean, just to throw out some stats, I think you listed this in the, and we'll talk about the newsletter in a minute, 
but you said in the newsletter that you released, was it 86 shorts last week or something like that? And you said you could even make a case for doing more than that. So you're doing that, you're recording shows, you're tweeting, you're writing. Just, I know it's chaotic, like what does the average day currently look like? And and do you have any systems that make the lift easier or is this just like you're on the grind set? On the grind set. I mean, I'm sure the things that I've picked up have helped me, but I will say I'm only in the first week of the newsletter. Like I've, I've had the newsletter for one week. So I, I wouldn't say that that's like a part of my routine, but one thing is I'm keeping ideas so that I can just create posts very easily from the day before. Another thing that really helped me was like Anthony Pompliano talking to him and being around him and just like watching his star rise is be like, Oh no, you actually can do more. Like you actually can create more content. You actually can use your time more effectively to build. And I've just been very inspired by him. And because of that, I I said, okay, if he could do it, he's a human being. I think I have similar work ethic and capabilities. What makes me different? Let me try this as well. And we're going to see, we're going to see if it works out. We're going to see if I can sustain the pace, but that's uh, the big thing. Another thing is like this guy who just really enjoyed the podcast, started creating clips himself and started to just send me them for free for no cost. And I'm like, oh my God, like when or if I'm ever in the position to hire someone, like this guy is going to be the first guy. So that's one system in place that's really helped me out in this moment is him just creating clips for me um, because he likes the podcast. He feels like he's learning something and he he thinks or is betting on the fact that one day I'll be able to pay him, I guess, and and uh, one day I'll, I'll be able to return the favor that he's currently giving me. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you uh, do you want to shout him out at all? Is he, does he have like a public presence, or is he is he is this something that he just does in his spare time? Yeah, no, I, I think this is he doesn't have a public presence, and I, I don't know if he wants to be public or not. Got it, got it, got it. Well, that's really cool of him to do that. I think that's a huge um, vote of support when people start, not just like saying that they're enjoying the content, but really engaging with it in such a, a manual way. Well, cre- it goes from not just consuming it, but then creating something off their consumption. That's like another level of appreciation someone can give. It's like, I not only loved it, I want to create now because I loved it. And that is when whenever you see things that are inspired by other art or art inspired by other art, that's like the greatest sign that that art left some significance on them. There's one more part to this person's question, and I'm going to ask it now because I think it'll actually take us directly into the newsletter. So they said, you know, of all the things that you're doing, what have you, in order to uh, grow distribution, what have you found to be most effective at the high level? And uh, Mm -hmm. I I know, because I'm a subscriber, what some of those things are, but why don't you just talk through it real quick and we'll use that as the on-road into the uh, the newsletter. Yeah, I think that the thing that's helped the growth the most is going viral, which might surprise some people, might not. But I had a couple of different clips on Instagram get over a million views, one over a million, another over 4 million. And the times when I've gone viral on TikTok as well have been led to the most growth. I think that I don't know what's going to go viral. I could not tell you at all, but I could tell you that the more you put out, the greater chance you have of something actually hitting people in a real way. So yeah, that, that's been the biggest driver is like literally just getting, it's like, 20% of the things you put out are going to get 80% of the attention. It's probably like even the 5% of what you put out is going to get 95% of the attention. So it's like 
that that sort of thing is pretty remarkable. And because I know that, I literally just I'm trying to put out as much as I possibly can at this moment. So this is something that you've talked about a couple of times in the newsletter so far. So why don't we talk about the newsletter? And I I I got to say I don't usually I guess newsletters are like a um uh, a focus of mine. I work for a newsletter, but also uh I've done a lot I spent a lot of time researching them. So I'd say they're like a passion, maybe a specialty, something like that. There's not a lot of newsletters that I recommend to people. And in fact, if people go through the archive, I tried to dissuade you from doing one because you posted about it. And I said, do this as a course. Don't do it as a newsletter. So I'm going to go on the record now and say, I think I was wrong. And here's why. So this is great, man. For people listening, Danny launched this paid newsletter. Well, it's there's free and paid. It's a newsletter about how he's building the podcast from 25,000 downloads per month, where it was when he sort of first launched the newsletter, uh, up to the goals a million, right? Downloads per month. Mm-hmm. And a couple, I think it was, it wasn't that long ago, two weeks ago, you posted on Twitter and you're like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing a newsletter for this. And, and my response was like, do this, do this as a paid course. And the reason I said that was because I said, everybody who already likes you and wants to understand what your journey is, they'll, they'll buy it, whether it's a course or a newsletter. And one of those things is like ongoing content, uh, responsibility. And the other one doesn't. You make it once, you sell it a bunch of times. And your response was, yeah, but I can take people on a journey with a newsletter. I can build something that's like more meaningful. And so I was like, eh, whatever. Well, let's see. We'll see what you think. And you launched it a few days later. I think I was one of the first people to sign up because I, like I said, I'm like, hey, I'm buying, I'm buying it either way. And I got to say, there's something really refreshing about the way that you write this. And I was trying to think about what it was. And this is what I think it is. And I'll stop um, like fanboying after this. But here's what it is. There are so many people these days who are creating content in order to create money. And it's like they, it's be, because it's become popular, because storytelling is in demand. There's a lot of people, and I fall into this trap myself sometimes, because I'm, I mean, like I'm in this as a, in the, the industry. My job is to create stories. So many people creating content to create money, not necessarily to figure something out. And the way you're writing this newsletter is you really are writing it. Like there's something you're trying to figure out and you're just thinking out loud as you do it. So it's really refreshing. I wanted to throw that out there and just say like, it's been a fun, fun read. Can you talk people through some of your thinking behind creating it in the first place though? I mean, where'd the idea come from? What made you pull the trigger even though some people who will remain nameless said don't do it? Like just talk through that for a second. So I appreciate all the kind words. The origin of the podcast started from my friend Zach Pograb at Behavior Hack on Instagram, one of just a great person for me to have as a friend, as somebody who I can bounce ideas off of. He said basically, like, what could you do that could make you money that could be useful to the world? And he was like, one of them is just like a newsletter, like updating people of like how you're growing this thing. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I also said to myself, this is something that I was doing when I was seven years old. Writing has always something been core to my being. So like, I really could see this working out. Um, so that's where the idea started, but it's really just, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do one newsletter a week. And then I was like, well, like I enjoy writing. So let me make it, let me do it more. How many does Pomp do? Okay. Pomp does five week. I could do five week then. <laughs> so yeah. And, and, and I realized like, okay, the more free stuff that I give people, the more people learn something from the free stuff, the more likely they're going to be to pay for a subscription. 
And also, like, I could – the more chance for people to come into the ecosystem. I mean that Austin post is getting shared by people I don't even know and it's like they just love Austin and they feel like it's a good representation. So it's like you don't know what's going to hit people but you have to put the effort to put it out there. So yeah, I mean that's like – that's the origins of it and listen, I, I don't know what this is going to lead to. I don't know like how – if I'll still be doing it three years from now, but I do know that like right now in this moment, one week into it, I'm really enjoying it. I'm learning a lot about myself and I'm growing and I'm not doing it to like for the wrong reasons. Like I, I really am doing it because I genuinely want to figure out how to get to a million downloads a month. And I want to show people like, yo, I was at 30,000 downloads a month last week and now I'm at 48,000. It's like, okay, what happened here? How'd this happen? So yeah, that's kind of the, the overview of the newsletter. I want to run through one of these issues real fast. Just to, well, not to show people what's in it. Well, we're going to show people what's in it. But, please, please. But to talk through some of the things, because there's some, the process of charting this journey, you've touched on some really interesting ideas. One, which you mentioned again, just a second ago, for like maybe the second or third time in five minutes, is this concept of like not knowing what's going to hit. So let me just share my screen real quick. We'll talk through some of this. And by the way, what's the what's the 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 name is the the DM in, right so in the DM is the in name the DM, and that's like a play on a lot of the things that happen are in the DMs. Oh, that's awesome! And it's yeah. So people, what's it? DannyMiranda.substack for people who are interested. That's right, DannyMiranda.substack.com. Okay, so I want to I want to lay this out for people, and I want to get get into it in like technical terms why this works as a as a newsletter uh specifically as a paid newsletter because you mentioned you kind of came into this project thinking i'm going to do one post per week that quickly went up by 400 (laughs) percent to (laughs) a post every day and i kind of watched that happen in the background because i I signed up early i got the first post it was great it was all about how you grew to nineteen thousand followers on instagram and mentally, I kind of prepared myself for like one post a week. And then I started seeing them trickle in like every two days and then every day. And then at some point, you're just like, hey, did this just become a daily newsletter? You said in the text, you're like, this just become a daily newsletter? Like, I think so. So I wanted to say that's it's interesting. It's impressive from a content creator standpoint. It's also something like one of the reasons why I typically advise people not to go with a paid newsletter first is because there are very few people who actually like have the capacity mm-hmm. to crank out enough content to really make this business work. Like, and actually, I'm gonna challenge myself on what I just said because what your point is actually everybody has the capacity. The question is whether or not you're gonna do it. Let me say why I think this works. You're building the audience on the front end, so you've got a pretty big distribution net through the podcast, through your Twitter, all that kind of stuff. The key thing that I think is driving this, like why I am happy to be a subscriber is that you are breaking down a process that's incredibly valuable for people. We're working on growing this podcast, just being able to see your numbers and see how somebody else in this space is thinking through a lot of the same challenges that we're going through. Mm -hmm. There's a clear line to the business value of that for me. So it's like no brainer. This would be a lot harder if you said, hey, I'm Danny Miranda. If you like my podcast, sign up for my paid newsletter, which is what a lot of people do. Yeah, a lot of people do that. That's where a lot of people went wrong. So I'll pause there because I just said a lot. But like, talk me through a little bit of how you thought about what should actually go into this from a content perspective. 
I wanted to say to myself, what are the things that I would kind of be uncomfortable if I created a Twitter thread around these things? Because I just wouldn't want to put my business so openly out into the world. I wouldn't want to share private messages with people. I wouldn't want to, you know, put people's, you know, responses to me in certain things. But if it was the case where this was private and I knew that only people who really liked me and supported me want, could get this, then I would give access to those things for, for your eyes only, basically. And so, you know, I, I said to myself, listen, the, the current numbers of the podcast, I kind of share them, but I don't, I don't go into specifics. I don't say what is working and why it's working. I don't go into my own YouTube dashboard. I don't say how this video, this short blowing up, did it lead to more growth for the YouTube full length episode? Like those are things that you really wouldn't know or you really wouldn't figure out if I was just tweeting them because one, I'd feel uncomfortable doing it. And two, it's pretty in the weeds of the media business. So yeah, that's kind of, it was like my brand is around sharing and authenticity. And it's like, how can I even take that to another level in, in the newsletter, the paid newsletter that is just for people that I really trust and respect. That's awesome. I think there's a great lesson there. Again, and you've crystallized it nicely for people. It's like, look, this works for pretty much any business that you're in. It could even work if you're an employee. I mean, provided that you're not giving away anything that's going to like damage your your employer, so you got to clear that with them. But the, the the idea here is clear. It's like a lot of people are trying to do the same thing that you're doing. If you pull them behind the scenes and share some of the stuff that most people don't talk about in public, very often that's going to be a recipe for success inside of any particular niche. And while the free version of this is sort of like a more general, hey, if you're a follower of Danny, you're going to like this. People who are going to pay for this are trying to grow a podcast. Like that's what they're doing, you know? Yep. So, and people listening to this episode can take that and apply it to pretty much anything that they're building. I think the lesson transfers. So I'm scrolling through here. And and just to kind of follow up on what Danny was saying, for people who are listening, so I'm scrolling through uh, an, a version. This is a paid version of the newsletter. It's got all the numbers for the current podcast laid out. Then there's kind of like a um, a uh, an aside here, which is like unexpected virality. This is one of the key reasons you feel like you're seeing some of this most recent growth. And so you mentioned a particular podcast episode that went viral. And then you break down two really important things, which I thought was interesting, which is one, what the the graph of views looks like on this episode. It didn't go viral straight out of the gate. It's like a it was like a timing thing where all of a sudden this person that you interviewed there's a lot of interest in their brand maybe some controversy whatever but you happen to have some content already created with them and so what you showed is how that's taking off now i think that's an important lesson again backing up this statement that like you never know what's going to take off and then later uh you answer the question yeah i see you shout out bar shop here which is does that virality have an impact on overall, was this like overall subscribers to the channel or what was it? So, oh, full episode views? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first graph was a short that broke down something very specifically about something that a lot of people are curious about. And that has just exploded in popularity. I think 50,000 extra views on that short over the past 10 days, which was just a lot for me. But you see, if you scroll down that, oh, wow, like this actually had a very minimal impact on the, full length episode. So it's interesting to note. And it was just insightful for me to point out not only to myself, but 
everyone. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop creating the shorts. It just means that I could see that it didn't have a one-to-one impact on the actual episode. You could see it did go up a little bit, but not that much, all things considered. Right. Yeah, and this actually uh, sort of cor- corresponds with data that we've seen come out of HubSpot. So Jonathan Barshop, he he shares some of the data on like how My First Million grows every single month. And recently he said the same thing. He's like, shorts are driving a, a ton of our overall views of content, but it's really hard to track what the connection is between the short and either full-length episodes or even subscribers to the RSS feed. And so for people listening to this, like it definitely seems like shorts are worth investing in but it's a longer term play. You're getting your name out there and you're getting awareness. Uh, it's kind of yet to be seen or it's difficult to measure sometimes the connection between that and subscribers. And so there's a lot of other cool stuff in here. You update people on your journey. You answer questions from the audience. And what, where I kind of want to end this conversation is on this last concept that you talk about. Cause I think this is so cool. And this is a really cool way of thinking about this. So let me just lay this out for people listening. There's a question that came from the audience that said, what are your highest ROI decisions slash tasks? And the person offered uh, an example. He said, like, maybe installing Freedom app, blocking your news feed, uh, not play, not auto, not auto playing on social media, stuff like that. And what you said was, my highest ROI decision is not any tactic. It's a general strategy. Like I said, I want to use this to kind of like bring this conversation home. He said, to identify where people are consuming information and give them digestible information on that platform. In this very moment, that's writing an excellent newsletter slash blog post. But in general, it's creating short form vertical content. to what every platform is prioritizing. And then this was interesting. You said I posted 68. I think I I misquoted that earlier, but 68 YouTube shorts in the past two weeks. I'd make the argument I should be putting out at least 100 per week. I can make as many excuses as I want, but the actions speak for themselves. And there's no reason why Oh, sorry, the reason why this is so important is that it's what the algorithm wants, and not everybody knows how to create killer short-form content yet. This was fascinating, man. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you came to this realization here, that your most important strategy is identifying where people are consuming? How, like, how do you think through that? How did that crystallize? That, that crystallized from writing it. Like, I, I genuinely did not have that insight. Until I wrote down that sentence and considered like what actually is the highest priority. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, wow, that that's really smart. Who came up with it? It wasn't me, but it, it didn't feel like me in the moment. But uh, yeah, it's it's really that's what we're trying to do here. Give people information that's contextual to where they're consuming it and give it to them in the way that they want to receive that information. It's like, I can't choose. I don't have a choice that, oh, now people care about TikToks more than they did podcasts five years ago. Well, okay. If that's the case, then I have to adapt to the way that people want to consume. And you learn. You get better at adapting the more you do it. And so I think that that's the primary motivation of a business and especially a content business to identify where people want their content and how they want it and give it to them in the best possible way for that person to consume. That is so well put. It reminds me of uh, Dane Cook. I've been watching a lot of Dane Cook interviews right now. Yes. And this was, I didn't realize this because I was sort of, you know, I think it was like 14, 15, 16 when he was My coming space. up to the ranks. Yeah, exactly. So for me, Dane Cook came on my radar. By the time he came on my radar, he was on TV and he was huge. And I just assumed he was huge because, you know, he came up the same way everybody else did, but that wasn't the case. 
he thought about comedy exactly the same fashion. And he was experimenting with all these different platforms. MySpace was the one that ultimately helped him break through. But he has a lot of stories about this exact thing, going into network meetings and saying, hey, look, you guys are not meeting people where they want to be anymore. And you like, you have to change that. And that was, that's what made him huge. That's what's going to make him huge again. He's kind of back on the up and up. So it's so fascinating to see somebody else think through it, uh, from that particular angle. I, I know and we're coming up on, I, oh, on that on. point. It's like there are very few people who have succeeded as podcasters starting as podcasters. And some people might look at that as, Oh, it's impossible to do that. I look at it like, the medium is so new that we have to look at examples from different fields. A couple of people are like Dane Cook, how he did it. Russ, how he did it. You know, so I, I'm like, I try to track the patterns of people who did it in different industries and be like, okay, how did that person blow up? What did that person do differently that are in comedy, that are in music, that are in entertainment? And what are they doing differently? So that's, uh, that's something that I think about a lot. And I think that it's exciting that they're, you look at Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss. They don't think of themselves as podcasters. Rogan thinks of himself as a comedian. Ferriss thinks of himself as a writer. I think of myself as a podcaster, and that's not virtue of podcasting being something that you shouldn't do. It's just virtue of the medium of the time and where it's going. It, this is so new. And because there are very few examples of people who have made it as podcasters, Chris Williamson is somebody I look at and I'm like, that person gets it. That person has done it really well. Okay. He's somebody who's a podcaster and made it as a podcaster. And so it's finding examples in different fields and pulling them to yourself for the person listening right now. Fascinating, man. Dude, this was so cool. I think we're going to have to have you back on uh, at some point for a part two. But thank you so much for, for, for making the time to come on here. I'm excited to catch you at this point in your career too. Because, you know, five years from now, I'll be like, yeah, I was talking to the <laughs> Danny Miranda back in the day. So this was uh, this was a lot of fun, man. I know you like to end your episodes with sometimes a challenge to the audience. So I'll flip the script and give you the opportunity to lay the same thing out. Do you have anything that you would challenge the audience on? And where should they go to check out more of your stuff? Yeah, so the Danny Miranda podcast is the best place to find more about me. And dannymiranda.substack.com if you'd like to sign up for the free newsletter and see what I'm all about. I won't ask you to pay if you don't know me. Um, but <laughs> a challenge to the audience. And I would say that whatever type of content you're creating, because this conversation has been so focused on the content, it's literally like this conversation warms my heart so much because it's all I think about, all that excites me. But I would say whatever content you're trying to do, see if you can do just a little bit more. Like if it's, if it's writing blog posts and you're like, all right, like I'm, I, I'm doing one a week. See if you could do two blog posts a week. If it's tweeting and you do five tweets a week, just be like, can I do 10? Right? Like try to one up yourself and beat the competition in with yourself. And I believe good things are going to happen because I went from one newsletter a week to five a week. And now we're here. And it's just like, uh, the more you do, the more you get back. And uh, I just challenge people to do a little more than they think they can in this moment. All right, folks, you heard it here first. Go check them out. Danny, thanks for being here, man. This was awesome. And for everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.